who is the way to heaven. We're going to read together from Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thanks, Ronnie. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we listen. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we need your help, that we need your insight, that we need you to shine your light into our hearts so that we might understand your word and respond to it rightly. So we pray, please, would you do that, please, by your spirit among us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a picture of, I wonder if you recognize it, it's the picture of the pavilion at uh, Lord's Cricket Ground in London. Um, it is, if you like, the mecca of cricket. Uh, on the walls inside are portraits of cricketing greats looking down on you 
um, international cricket players wander around in the corridors and mingle with the members. Uh, people in that place talk about the place with extraordinary reverence and awe. But it is a highly exclusive place uh, reserved for members and their guests only. And if you want to become a member, well, good luck to you. Uh, you'll need, first of all, to know an existing member who's prepared to recommend you. Next, you'll need to be someone in the world of cricket if you haven't represented your county, um, if you haven't done something significant to advance the sport, you haven't a chance. And even if you meet those criteria, you still will need to join a waiting list of 29 years. Well, two summers ago, a friend of mine who is a member invited me to come down as his guest to watch a match. And I must say, um, I, I, I like sport generally. I'm not particularly into cricket, but I am interested. To get a taste of belonging, even for that one evening, was special to be among the players, to be surrounded by the history in that place. You couldn't help but find yourself walking tall. It was amazing to belong, even just for an evening. It was also fascinating to see others who didn't belong. So at half time in between innings, we went out from the pavilion uh, to the area outside to play a little game of cricket of our own with our young boys who were with us. And seeing us come out of the pavilion, there was a man who saw us and made a beeline for us. And for the rest of the evening, really attached himself to us, or should I say, attached himself to my friend when it became clear that he was the member and I was the guest. And in truth, it was all a bit strange. And I couldn't help but think, what does he want? But as he talked, it became clear, it dawned on me, he wants to belong. He wants to be a member of this most exclusive club. And if he could strike up a friendship with my friend, then maybe, just maybe, he might get that little bit closer to fulfilling his dream. Well, this morning in Acts 8, we're going to be thinking about someone a bit like that man. Someone who desperately wanted to belong and yet couldn't. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, is desperate to belong. We see that from some of the details of, of what we're told about him. Just think about how far he'd traveled. We're told that he was from Ethiopia, that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was now on his way back home again. Now, ancient Ethiopia, that is modern-day Sudan. And from, from there to Jerusalem, you're looking at a distance of about 1,800 miles. Now, given he's going in a chariot at just over walking speed, likely he's got a round-trip journey time of between two and four months. This man is dead king to belong to go to Jerusalem to worship. More than that, he's got his own Isaiah scroll. I wonder if you saw that. Of course, today, to own a Bible, 
perspective, it doesn't really say anything about you. Anyone can have a Bible. They cost just a few quid if you want them. But back then, scrolls of Old Testament scriptures were very rare and very, very expensive. And yet he has a scroll of the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And that's not so that he can boast to his friends, look at me with my ancient religious artifact, aren't I clever, aren't I rich? He has it so that he could read it. That's what we find him doing. And he's not just reading it either. He wants to understand it, asking Philip the question, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? So here is a man who wants to understand God's word. He wants to belong. He's desperate to be a part of God's people. And yet, he can't. The most important thing that Luke wants to highlight to us about this man is that he is a eunuch. So Luke mentions that he is from Ethiopia just twice. But he refers to him as a eunuch six times. That's the thing that he's underlying, lining. So eunuch was a man who'd been castrated. That is, his genitals had been cut off so that he might serve in the queen's court in his home country. Now, according to Old Testament law, that had implications. That meant that he couldn't fully partake in temple worship. As a eunuch, the law you can read about it in Deuteronomy, uh, forbade him from entering into the assembly of the Lord. So as he went up to Jerusalem, he could go into the outer courts. He could go, if you like, into the temple foyer. He could make free will offerings if he wanted to, but he couldn't come into the main temple. He was forbidden. The law forbade him. So in that sense, he was a bit like a, a young child um, in a theme park, allowed into the park, allowed to look at the rides and so on, but not allowed on any of the rides, because, of course, next to the rides, what if you got a shut gate and height restrictions standing in their way? This man wants to belong, but he can't. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment on this. And think about why. Why was he excluded from temple worship? Why was there this law that forbade him? Because, of course, to our modern ears, it just sounds very, very harsh, doesn't it? Well, I want to say two things briefly. Firstly, we've got to recognize that the reason that this sounds harsh to our ears Perhaps even the reason we may ask this question in the first place is because the gospel has shaped our thinking. The gospel has planted this question in our heads. You see, the gospel is for anyone. You think about what Jesus taught. How many times Jesus used the word whoever or all. Yeah, God so loved the world that uh, he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or you think about uh, the Apostle Paul's teaching about how uh, the good news about Jesus is for both Jews and Gentiles. It is for everyone, 
anyone who would believe. So the gospel has this strong emphasis on anyone. It is for anyone who believes. Now, our culture, it has largely left the gospel message itself behind. Um, But it has held on to some gospel values, such as inclusion, that things should be for everyone, that no one should be excluded. And that means that to us and to our neighbors, whether they believe in Jesus or not, it just seems to us obvious that everyone should be included, regardless of disability or gender or race or whatever. And my point here is is that the reason we think like that is because the gospel has shaped our thinking deeply. So that's just the first thing I want to say on this question of why this law. Secondly, and briefly, we just want to see the purpose of that Old Testament law in the first place. Because laws like that, no eunuchs allowed, a law like that was given not to kind of clamp down on immorality, but rather as a visual aid to demonstrate God's holiness and unapproachable perfection. So a bodily imperfection, such as being a eunuch, or perhaps a ritual uncleanness, such as just having had a baby, in the Old Testament, those things excluded you from worship. Not because you'd necessarily done anything wrong or sinful, but to illustrate God's perfection, his, his cleanness, his wholeness. And those laws then served as a reminder to the people that God couldn't just dwell with his people because he is unapproachably perfect. That's a little bit of an excursion as to why we had this law in the first place, but I hope that's helpful. Anyway, let's come back to this eunuch because the upshot of this Old Testament law is that he is excluded. His status as a eunuch stands in the way of him becoming a full member of God's people. It's like a shut gate. So here's a man on the fringes of religious life, wants to belong, but can't. And yet, secondly, I want us to see that God seeks him out. The, the, the publisher of my Bible, my copy of my Bible, has put in the title at the, the, the top of this story, Philip and the, Ethio- and the Ethiopian. Um, I don't know what it has in, in, in your uh, Bible, but in mine it says Philip and the Ethiopian in bold. Now, we just need to know, I'm sure you know this already, Luke didn't write that. Um, in my case, that's Hodder and Stoughton who wrote that in 2011. They're the publisher. They wrote it. And I'm quite glad they did because it helps us to find our ways, find our way around our Bibles. But we mustn't pay too much attention to those summaries in bold. Uh, certainly not here because it could lead you to think that Philip is the great evangelist in this story. But actually, I don't think that's true. Because as we look at this story, who is it directing things 
and calling the shots and arranging for this Ethiopian eunuch to hear the gospel. It's not actually Philip. Sure, he's involved, but it's not actually him. It's God working through Philip. This is the story of God and the Ethiopian eunuch. So if you want to change that in those little headings, you should go ahead and do that. God seeks him out. Let's just, let's just look at that for a moment. So why does Philip head south on the Gaza road in the first place? Not because he thinks it would be a good idea and a good place to go to. No, we're told, verse 26. Why not have a look at it? Verse 26. Because of an angel of the Lord who directs him there. Why does Philip run up to this chariot that the eunuch is in and walk alongside it? Verse 29, we're told why. Again, it's not Philip's idea. We're told the Spirit told him to. Then think about what the eunuch is reading. Out of all of the possible passages of Scripture that this eunuch could have been reading, which passage of Scripture does he just so happen to be reading? But Isaiah 53, probably, well, certainly the clearest uh, and most direct signpost forward to Jesus in the entire Old Testament. God has chosen this passage. And then after Philip baptizes him, who suddenly directs Philip away to his next assignment? Verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord. So you see, it is God who is seeking out this man, sending Philip to him to tell him the good news about Jesus. It's not just Philip who wants this man to belong. God wants him to belong. God wants him to be saved. God wants him to know all of the blessings of being part of his people. God seeks him out. But not just does God seek him out. But thirdly, we see that Christ opens the gate of salvation to him. So Philip, he, he, he runs up to this chariot, he walks alongside it, he hears uh, the, the man reading from Scripture, and he, he shouts up to him as he walks alongside, do you understand what you're reading? And the man shouts down and says, no, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And so sensing Philip's offer of help, he invites Philip up, to sit next to him in his chariot, and they talk. And this conversation that they have, well, it begins with Jesus' death, as predicted in Isaiah 53, which is what he's reading. And we're told in verse 35 that it moves on to the good news about Jesus generally. But that is all that we're told about their conversation. Does Philip skip ahead a few chapters in Isaiah to Isaiah 56 to the promise of a new covenant where foreigners and eunuchs are included, quite possibly, but we're not told for sure. But even so, we can see Philip's message, his theme, which is that Jesus' death on the cross has opened the gate of salvation to anyone 
who simply believes. That is Philip's message to him. Jesus' death on the cross opens the gate of salvation to anyone who simply believes. Because just look at how this conversation ends. Have a look at verse 36. What does the eunuch say at the conclusion of the conversation? Look, here is water. I want to be baptized. Is not what he says. He says, verse 36, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? His implied answer, absolutely nothing. You see, the eunuch has understood it. That by taking the, the punishment for our sin on the cross, Jesus has torn down all those old restrictions and all those old barriers that kept him out and has flung open the gate of salvation to anyone who simply believes, no matter who they are or where they're from or what their status. He gets that, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So they stopped the chariot. They walk down into the water together, and Philip baptizes this man, a sign of his cleansing from sin, of new life in Jesus, and finally belonging to God. You see, God isn't just interested in those who already belong. He is also seeking out those, like this man, on the fringes. And by Christ's death on the cross, he has opened the gate of salvation to all who would believe. Well, two lessons for us as we close. And I guess, firstly, to any who are perhaps on the fringes of faith, I wonder, perhaps, you maybe you feel like, a little bit like this Ethiopian eunuch. That you feel on the edges of things spiritually, perhaps, uh, you wouldn't say that you're against the church or you're opposed to faith, but neither would you say that you are really uh, uh, an insider or that you really belong to God. Close to the church, perhaps, but far from God. Maybe that might describe you in the theme park, if you like, but not on any ride. Well, if that's you, God wants you to know from this passage that he wants you. He wants to save you. He wants for you to belong and is seeking you out. And in fact, has sent his son to fling open the gate of salvation to you so that you might belong. You don't need a recommendation from anybody. You don't need to be someone or have achieved something great. You don't need to pay a fee or join a waiting list. You don't need to have a clean record or a high status or to possess some particular ability or have some great potential. Whoever you are, you can belong because those restrictions have been torn down. The gate is open. All you need to do is turn from your sin and trust in him and you have gone through that gate into God's kingdom, into God's family, with all of the assurance of forgiveness of sins that comes with it. The gate is open. Will you come through it?
And then secondly and finally, to those of us who do belong, who are in Christ, I think this calls us to be just grateful. As I think back to my evening at Lourdes, um, I, I really enjoyed my evening with my friend. Uh, but in truth, I'm not really a fan of exclusive members clubs. Um, they can really foster pride. I mean, how can you not feel proud when you know that people are scrambling to get on a 29-year waiting list to join your club? It fosters pride. But belonging to God and being a part of God's people and being included in Christ, there is no place for pride. Only humble rejoicing like this eunuch. You see, for those of us who are in we need to know that we are in, not because of who we are, not because of what we may have done or not done, not because of any reputation or ability or fee that we may have paid, not because of any potential benefit that we might offer to, to, to God and to his kingdom. If we are in, we need to know that we are in because of and only because of Jesus' death on the cross that has flung open the gate of salvation to us. If he had not died for us, that gate would be shut, and our sin would bar us from entry. So if you're in Christ, if you belong, don't feel proud, but rather be like this eunuch and go on your way rejoicing that Christ and Christ alone has made the way for you to belong and to be saved. Let's pray that God would do that work in us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart and your love for those on the fringes, for those who are outside. We thank you for your heart and your love for us, that you have made a way for us to be part of your people, to belong to you and to be saved. We thank you that you have sought us out. We thank you that Christ has died and opened the gate to us. And we pray, please, that we would be those who are humble and rejoice at being included in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.